Folks, there are two images that I would like to give you uh, in this homily. First one is this. Imagine that you're an eight-year-old Jewish boy or girl. And imagine that you're there living in the city of Jerusalem. The year is about 430 B.C., before Christ. You're there, and as an eight-year-old, your parents had told you that there used to be ten other tribes that were to the north. They were your relatives and friends. Most were distant relatives and friends because they were of another tribe. And then at some point, the kings of the north came down and conquered those, those, ten, kingdom, those ten tribes and brought them up into foreign lands, dispersed them all across you know, northern Asia. You hear these stories that happened, you know, 100 or 200 years ago. And then you also hear stories that these same kings came down and tried conquering the, the city of Jerusalem, but they never prevailed. They would conquer some of the surrounding lands and then return to their country, and then the people of Jerusalem would send out, you know, the farmers and ranchers again to go out and, and raise the animals to bring in the grains. And then as that eight-year-old, you began to... Hear, hear the news from your parents that a king from the northeast is coming down and he wants to conquer this land. He's already conquered those other kings that had come down to the north. He's conquered their lands and now he's going to be reaching the city of Jerusalem soon. Then one morning you wake up and you hear your, from your parents that no one can go outside the city walls anymore. In fact, the the farm folk out there are coming into the city for, for refuge because the king's soldiers are about to arrive. And you wonder, who is this strange king? And you hear that his name is Nebuchadnezzar. A couple more days go by. You wake up again in the morning and you hear that King Nebuchadnezzar's troops have arrived at the city walls. You can't see over the walls. You're just a child. You're told you can't go up there to look. People are afraid. Dad and Mom are afraid. And you wonder, what's going to happen to our city? What's going to happen? Then the fighting begins. The troops start to you know, get over the walls. The people of Jerusalem, the soldiers of Jerusalem, are fighting back. Arrows come into the city every now and then. A week goes by, another week goes by. Pretty soon you start hearing that the prophet in the city, his name is Jeremiah, starts to tell the city officials, just turn yourselves over. It's the best thing that could happen to you at this point. Just turn yourselves over to King Nebuchadnezzar, and, and the Lord's going to provide. The city officials turn to, to your own king and, and say, Jeremiah's just spreading, spreading rumors amongst the people. He's caused them to lose faith in you, king. You need to get rid of him. And he says, the king says, Jeremiah is in your hands. So the city officials then take Jeremiah and throw him into this deep pit. You're hearing all these stories as that eight-year-old. You don't know what's going on. It's all new to you. You've never experienced something like this before. One night you go to sleep. And in the middle of the night, you hear your mom screaming. 
and you soon find out that a breach has been broken. A breach has come into the King Nebuchadnezzar's soldiers have, have made it into the city. He's broken into your house. And you and your family are captured and you're forced to walk the 100 to 200 miles to the northeast. You find yourselves in the city of Babylon. You're just an eight-year-old. This is all new to you. What's going on? You know, parents have told you this and that. Now let's jump ahead 70 years. You're now 78 years old. You have, you have been away from your, your homeland for, well, 70 years. The city of Jerusalem had been, you know, overthrown. The temple where God dwelt, the place where your parents, where you would come to worship, was demolished, desecrated. And when you're 78, you hear the news that the new king there in Babylon says, you can go back to your homeland. Imagine the, the joy that comes across your heart. Imagine the tears rolling down your cheeks. That you get to go back to this place, to your home, to your own country. And you get to reestablish the city that you once lived in as an eight-year-old. And then as you arrive as a 78-year-old, walking on foot back to this town, you come into those city walls and you look towards the temple. And you're just filled with joy. We can rededicate the temple. God has not forgotten us. And then the prophet at the time says these words, Thus says the Lord, I know their works and their thoughts, and I come to gather nations of every language. They shall come and see my glory. I will set a sign among them. From them I will send fugitives to the nations, to the distant coastlands, that to those lands that have never heard of my fame or seen my glory, and they shall proclaim my glory among the nations. They will bring all of your brothers and sisters from all the nations. Remember those that were scattered, those, those stories you heard as a child, those ten tribes to the north? The Lord is saying, I'm going to gather in all those people, and they shall bring an offering to the Lord, to Jerusalem, my holy mountain, The joy, the excitement, like this is going to happen, that God has not forgotten about us, but he's going to bring people of every nation and tongue from the east and the west, the north and the south, and he's going to bring them to Jerusalem, to the place where he dwells. And everyone's going to be excited and filled with joy. We're going to have our land back. You just imagine the excitement that would be. Keep that image in mind. The second image. Now imagine that you're walking with Jesus to the physical city of Jerusalem. And someone there in the crowd says, Lord, will only a few people be saved? Will only a few people be saved? That's a good question, by the way. It's another question that we often ask. 
how many people are going to be in heaven? Are just a few people going to be there? Or, you know, they're going to be, how many people are going to be in hell? That type of question. So they had it then too, you know, Lord, will only a, people, only a few people be saved? And it's interesting what Jesus does. So he turns to not just the one who asked the question, but to, to everyone that's there, including you, know, you as well. And he says, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I tell you, will attempt to enter, but will not be strong enough. And then he gives this image of the master of the house. So a master of the house, they would oftentimes be, you know, in his, in his house, in his home. There'd be from his family, you know, children, grandchildren, a number of the, the servants and so forth, it could reach up to a hundred and some people. And every now and then, what would happen is when the master of the house would get up, he would lock, you know, the door to his house, to that whole area, and one of the servants or even, you know, one of the kids would come knocking, you know, late at night, you know, Lord, let me in. This is something that would happen. People were familiar with it. Lord, let me in. And most often, you know, the master of the house or the servant would, you know, let the person in. They happened, you know, whatever they were doing. But Jesus mentions it this way. He says, after the master of the house has arisen and locked the door, then will you stand outside knocking and saying, Lord, open the door for us. He will say to you in reply, I do not know where you are from. That's something that the master of the house would say to a stranger. Guy comes knocking on the door in the middle of the night. I need a place to stay. The master says, I do not know where you're from. You can't come into my house. You could be a thief. A stranger. The master says it to a stranger. And then you will say, we ate and drank in your company. And you taught in our streets. Like, we know you. And he will say, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. And there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. I don't know about you, but that's kind of spooky. Can you imagine... You pass from this world and you come knocking on the gates of heaven and Jesus says, I do not know where you are from. You're a stranger. It's spooky, isn't it? And then this image. This is even, I think, even more, more scary he says, and there will be wailing and grinding of teeth when you see Abraham. He's our father in faith. He's the one where, you know, the whole Jewish faith comes from, where Christianity comes from. When you see Abraham, Jacob and Isaac, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, all the holy people, and you yourselves cast out. It's like there's a gate there, but you can see through who's on the other side. This is even scarier. You see all the saints there, and you look in, and you see the guy that you've been angry at for 10 years, for 15 years, for 20 years. You see the neighbor whom you think is just a schmuck, 
And you see him there. You see the relative, the co-worker, who you thought didn't have their life together. And you see them there. And then that same anger, that same hatred that you've had towards that person arises again in your heart. You're familiar with it because you've had the habit of having it. And you recognize that that person there was Jesus in your midst. We ate and drank in your company and you taught in our streets. Oh, the horror. This, this is part of the passages in Scripture that a number of pastors don't talk about. When hell comes into the, the situation, even some Christians, it's, it's kind of really sad, guys. Even some Christians, some priests, some bishops will say, ah, hell doesn't exist. That's just, you know, some concoction that humanity has made up and Jesus talked about it. No, hell, hell really exists. The devil is real. But now remember that first image. Jesus wants every one of us in heaven. Yes, hell's real, but Jesus doesn't want us there. He does not want any of us to be strangers. He wants us to be his friends. Even as Judas, you know, betrays Jesus with a kiss there in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus says to him, friend, friend, do you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Jesus wants to be our friends. He wants to be our friend, and he wants all of us to be his friends. Which means he wants to open his heart to us, and he wants you and I to open our hearts to him. It's why you will hear over and over again people say, make sure you say your prayers. Pray every day. Open your heart. Sometimes we say, you know, we're told to pray, but we don't really know what that looks. But what, what does prayer look like? Prayer is the opening of one's heart to God saying, here I am in all my brokenness and all my struggles and all my, and all my pride and all my rage and all my, my grudges and all my resentment. And here I am in everything, the goodness, the bad, the ugly. Here I am. Jesus, I want to be your friend. I want you to know where I'm from. And so that we never forget, Jesus gives us the great sacrament of Holy Communion. What better friendship than you and I coming to Mass today? And right here, the one who created us, the King of the universe, is right here. He's hidden. Only those with faith can find him. Only those with faith can find him. If one doesn't have faith, one can't find Jesus here. One can't. Because the one without faith says, I want to control everything. And because that looks like bread, that can't be Jesus. The one with faith says, Jesus, I need you. I want to be one of the ones that come from the east and the west, the north and the south, and gathers at the table reclines at the table in the kingdom of God. I want to be one of those.
The grace of this Mass to pray for is that you and I may always recognize the abundant mercy of God, that great tug at our heart from God. We may recognize that Jesus wants us. And we may not be afraid. Our sins may not be too big. We may not think our sins are too big to bring to Jesus, but we may bring everything, especially our pride. Pride is dangerous. Let's bring everything to him today and ask him for the strength to, to prevail, to strive to enter through the narrow gate.